Father, we ask that the Spirit of the Lord is here. Father, may this not be ritual. May, may, may it not be just a formal act that we go through. But may we be empowered and may we have the Spirit of the Lord and may we be brought to the throne of Christ right now. In your powerful name we pray. Amen. So when a thief asked me about October 22nd, come here on October 22nd, I didn't know if there was some kind of hidden message, you know, because this is the great disappointment. And we were even thinking of doing some kind of meet the pastor on the great disappointment weekend. So, uh, and who knows, maybe you'll find out, you know, it doesn't, it's not one day. Maybe my time here will be the great disappointment as an era. I hope not. I actually had a follow-up. I have a follow-up sermon to what, we, what I preached about last time, but I am not going to talk about that this time because of such a high weekend of the great disappointment. It is something part of our history. We are Seventh-day Adventists, and it started there. We are here because of that. And some people don't even know why we're here. They don't know why we still exist as a, as a people. I'll tell you, it was probably about a month ago, you know, when, when I had told some people that I accepted this call up here, there was a guy from the gym who's, a, who's the executive pastor of a non-denominational church at the gym that I work out with, uh, at, and he... Uh, he said, oh, you're moving? And I said, yeah, I'm moving to Chicago. And I said, I'm going to put on my big boy pants and I'm going to be a, a lead pastor. And he said, have you ever considered going to a non-denominational church? And I thought about it. And the actual answer is yes, I have, to be honest. Um, but I said, in this point in my life, no. And I explained to him, and I will explain to you why I, I said no in a minute. But I said no. But he, he, he was paying me a compliment. And he said, the way that I see you interact with people here at the gym is not the way that I see people from denominational churches interact with people at a gym. Um, He's like, you know, he was paying me a compliment. He said, I know that you're very Christ-focused and Christ is most important to you. And, uh, and he was sort of saying it would be cool to work together on the same staff. Um, but I went to explain why I, why I am proud to be a Seventh-day Adventist. But here's the thing. In Adventism, and I think this has been going on for probably a few decades, we are in crisis. It's not just Adventism. Christianity's in crisis mode right now. But we are in crisis mode because the thing is, is, I mean, what I've been told, you've got just around here, between other churches, you've got a church that's very progressive. You have a church that is very large because of an institution. And then you've got us and there's 
And if you go from one church to the next, you don't know what version of Adventism you're going to get. I have been told the reason why I don't bring friends to my church or my parents' church is because, and you can fill in that blank, I know how they will be treated. I know that if they wear something that is not up to what their standards are, they will be confronted. Actually, the first church I worked at, there was a split in the church, and there was a lady who was told to leave because she had a red dress on. So you don't know what version of Adventism you will get. You've got what we, we have these terminologies, the, the, the main two, you know, like Democrat, Republican, we've got the conservative and the liberals, and then we've got all the in-between there. The question is, what is a Seventh-day Adventist? What is a Seventh-day Adventist? And is there still a purpose? And I, sort of, I say this sort of, you know, I, I, with you know, sarcasm, but to this crazy denomination. Is, is there a purpose? Is there a common bond? Is the common bond that overall we believe vegetarianism? Is that our common bond? I pray not. <laughs> I am vegetarian. So, okay, so just so that we can sigh. I am vegetarian, but I pray that that is not our common bond. Is the way we dress our common bond? No. Is even Ellen White our common bond? No. I believe, okay, this is, this is what I believe. I believe that our great controversy theme is what makes us unique. It is our common bond, no matter where you are. And I'm super excited about it. And you, here's the thing is, also within our minds, just because we hear a word or we hear a phrase and we all think different things about it, I'm not talking about the book, The Great Controversy. I'm talking about our theme, The Great Controversy. Do you guys know who, who knows who Anton LaVey is? Anton LaVey. Not too many of you know who Anton LaVey is. Anton LaVey is the creator or the originator of the Church of Satan. The Church of Satan. Um, it is a little scary to, to even see his picture. And, and just, you know, very, I guess, for lack of another word, very satanic. Um, now, Anton LaVey, I was watching an interview from his daughter, who, which, uh, which was like a high priestess. I think her name was Zena. And I was really intrigued with what she said. She goes, you people out there, when you think of the church of Satan, you think that we are worshiping Satan, which I do believe they are worshiping Satan. But she said, you think we're worshiping this, this actual being. But that's not the existence of our church. Our church existed because my dad 
for many years was a photographer, photographer for the San Francisco Police Department. And he saw so many horrific things happening, yet would go to a church and they say, God is love, and God just allows it because he's love. And he said, there is no way that there's a God that is love that allows this. And so what we believe is just channeling good energies. So the Church of Satan is sort of just, just sticking it to, the, to these Christian churches that say God is love, but then allow all these other horrific things to happen. It's about the character of God. And I said, you know what? We deal with that. As Seventh-day Adventists, we deal with that. So let me ask you, what is the heart of our message? Do you guys know, what are, the, what are the five books? You've heard of the Conflict of the Ages series, right? Has everybody heard of that? Okay, these to me are the five most important books that this lady Ellen White wrote. Maybe Steps to Christ we can throw in there. But tell me, what is the first book? Patriarchs and Prophets. What's the second one? Prophets and Kings. Desire of Ages. Acts of the Apostles. The Great Controversy Ended. And you know that it just goes through Scripture, right? Everybody knows that? It's just, you're just reading. You basically go from Genesis to about David, I think. And then David till right before Jesus. Life of Jesus. Everything from basically Acts till right before Revelation, and then you got Revelation. Does everybody understand that? She's just writing Bible stuff. Okay, just elaborating Bible. Somebody tell me, what are the first three words of patriarchs and prophets? God is love. Now let me ask you this. What are the last three words of the great controversy? God is love. So let me ask you this. What is the Seventh-day Adventist message? <laughs> should be. Not that God should be love, but God, it should be God is love. That is our message. I'm done. See you guys. <laughs> that is the Seventh-day Adventist message. God is love. It is not what you wear. It is not what you eat. It is not the health message. Our message at its core is three words. God is love. And the whole scripture just says, and this is how I'll show it to you. And so through history, God is love. God is love. God is love. That is our message. Now, what makes me really excited about being a Seventh-day Adventist, because a lot of people will preach God is love. I'm going to make an arrogant statement. I personally believe that the Seventh-day Adventist message is the most gospel-centered message out there. Gospel. I'm not saying the truth, not the most right, the rightest, the most right, I'm saying the most gospel-centered message out there. And here's what's happened. So we have this, this gospel here. 
I took these from the hotel, so I got to return them. <laughs> they smell good. But my water, I got that from the sink. Ugh. It's very chlorinated. Got it from the pool, I think. So here's, we have this message. God is love. But what we have done is we have said, well, we've got this health message. And that has covered our God is love message. Well, what you wear, that has covered our God is love message. Drums, our, our most current flavor is uh, women's ordination. Whatever it is has covered this gem that the world is waiting for. Our God is love message is a gem, and instead we put jewelry, drums, Swimming on the Sabbath, whatever it is. And so we have people from the outside saying, well, that's what an Adventist is. We have people on the inside that even know more. That is what an Adventist is. If, if, if you're from the inside, these towels are much higher. You laugh because it's true. We are known more for what we do not do than what we do. But God is love is positive, not negative. But I want to take you just real quick, just a quick journey why I believe this. I don't know if you realize this. There are a lot of Protestants out there, a lot of evangelicals that believe that you, now I'm going to get a little semantic with you guys, that believe that you have to accept Jesus to be saved. I'm going to say, we do not believe that. Do you realize that? I got that. That's on. That's recorded, isn't it? <laughs> we as Seventh-day Adventists do not believe that you need to accept Jesus to be saved. Otherwise, Ellen White would not talk about people that have never heard the message of Jesus that would be saved. Otherwise, Romans 1 would not talk about Christ, that God wrote it within our hearts, even if they don't know the message. Here's where the semantics come in. What I believe we believe is that not that you have to accept Jesus, but that God, through the sacrifice, died for you, gave you salvation, and if you don't want it, you reject it. You give it back. It's already the, yours. It's already everybody's. Which is more gospel? That somebody has to go through the work of accepting it, or that God gave it to you, and... People have to go through the act of rejecting it if they don't want it. I think we got gospel. Let me tell you, um, go, in, go into your Bibles. I want you to open your Bibles. I don't know if you, you realize this. I personally, you know, we, as Seventh-day Adventists, we're sort of stamped with this, this Sabbath thing. Sabbath is sort of central in, in what we believe and uh, what we differ from other evangelicals. There's so much more. But um, I personally believe that this is more key. I want you to go to Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. I mean, not verse 1, verse 21. Galatians 3, verse 21. 
give you one more second. And it says this. Is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if the law had been given that could impart... Wait, if, for if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. Now, can anybody impart righteousness by the law? No, law can't give it to you. Go to Romans. Go back a few, a few books. Romans chapter 4. Romans 4, starting at verse 13. It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be the heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who live by the law are heirs, faith has no value and the promise is worthless. Because the law brings wrath and there is no law, where there is no law, there is no transgression. So let me ask you this. Is there anybody... In, our, in history of God's chosen that believed they were saved by keeping the law. What do you think? Yes? Well, I guess, let's say in the global theology of Judaism and now into Christianity, did people believe that they were saved by keeping the law? In the theology, the answer is no. Now, there might be individuals, just like we believe different stuff. All of us are individuals. We might believe different. But the answer, answer is actually no. And you know this because they all did one act that they thought would absolve them of their sin. And what is that act? Sacrifice. All of them knew, I need to sacrifice because I am not righteous. Do you understand that? They all sacrifice. And here Paul says, never could the law impart righteousness. But do you realize that most people out there that are believers in Christ believe that there are two covenants and that we as Christians are saved under this new covenant. We are saved by grace through faith in who? Jesus. But what do they call the Old Covenant? The law. Mosaic law. So what you have to come to terms with is that they believe that people pre-Christ were saved by what? Keeping the law. Has, but Scripture just said, no, the law could never impart righteousness. If you read in Hebrews, if you want to go there, okay, let's go to Hebrews real quick. Hebrews, go to Hebrews chapter 9, I mean chapter 10, just to sort of emphasize this point. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 4, we'll start in verse 3. Verse 3 says this, but those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins because it is what? What's the word it uses? Impossible 
for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So if they were, if it was impossible, never could the law impart righteousness. And it's impossible that every sacrifice that they did to an animal cannot give righteousness and wash away sins. Then how were people in the Old Testament saved? Cricket. How were they saved? By one person, Jesus Christ. Come on. Is that not gospel? Whether you're Adam or Moses or David or you or me or Ellen White, anybody who makes it to the kingdom will be there because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That is gospel. There is no old Mosaic covenant that you had to keep the law to be saved and then when Jesus came hey I'm changing this all up no basically really when you read the scripture it just says well I'm going to write it the law in your hearts now but that you all know everybody that will be saved is because of me Jesus sacrifice is why everybody isn't that gospel come on isn't that gospel oh I'm so excited Think about hell. You know, I used to work at a, you guys like Panera? Panera Bread? Okay. I was bivocational. When I first went into ministry, I was bivocational. I worked part-time at Panera, and I worked part-time as a minister. I was all-time minister, but paid really, really part-time. Just letting you know, I only made 750 bucks a month. What's up? In this day and age? Okay, sorry. Feel bad for me. No, feel bad for my wife. Um, my first Bible study with some of the guys that asked me to, to lead a Bible study was about hell. They're like, what? You're going to talk about hell? And I said, yeah. You think about this. Most Christians believe God is love. They believe God is love. But that if you don't accept Jesus, maybe you're born on the wrong side of the world, you don't accept Jesus, you will go where? Hell. And you will do what in hell? Burn. Forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And God will, because of his wrath, will slow roast you, but not hot enough to kill you but just enough so that the most gnashing of teeth and pain is upon you. Now, whether you realize this or not, I am a sinful man. And I have kids, and e even if my daughter, even if my daughter came to me, she's 18, and she comes to me and she says, Dad, I hate you. You've done nothing for me. She spits in my face. She slaps me. She says, I'm leaving. I never want to see you again. I would not grab her hand and pull her inside and say, nope, you're not getting away that fast. Tie her up, put an apple in her mouth, and slow roast her, perpetually keeping her alive, but making her feel the pain of that rejection. Now, if I, as a sinful human being, wouldn't do that. You're telling me the God where love, I mean, it's his existence, is going to do that? So tell me, 
Who's got gospel? I got gospel. We have gospel here. You think of our view of judgment. Even this thing that we call investigative judgment. When you think about investigative judgment, it has nothing to do with you. All right? It really has this much to do with you. Because if God wanted to, if he's sovereign enough, you're in, you're out, you're in, you're out, you're in, you're out. Hey, it takes a millisecond. Boom. All right. It's determined. But who's the one really on trial? God. Am I fair? Am I love? Let's lay it all out. You check with your books, even, even the enemy. You've got records. Let's, let's check this out. Judgment. Actually, I don't know if you guys know this, but judge in Hebrew, there's two words for judge. Shaphat, hence the name like Jehoshaphat, and Dean, where the name Daniel comes from. And they both mean deliverer. You know, the Shiftim, which is the, the judges of the Old Testament, they weren't judges the way we think. Samson was, a, was one of the Shiftim. And he was there to deliver the people. A judge is somebody to deliver. That's gospel. We believe in gospel. Our Sabbath message, I mean, even think about Sabbath. And this is where I, I'm sad that we've turned it this way. But you think about Sabbath to the Israelites that just came out of, you know, just with the Exodus, that just came out of Egypt. And, you know, they've been working 16-hour days, seven days a week. And God said, well, I don't want you ever to go back into bondage. And I will speak so strongly that you never go back into bondage that I'm going to make a day that you can never associate with bondage, which work is associated with bondage, where you never ever have to do that again. And can you imagine the, the Israelites, what? Can't believe this. I don't have to work. I'm so mad. I can't play video games or I can't watch TV. You know, they were probably like, what do I do with myself now? I really have just a family day where I can hang out with people I love. It was so foreign to them. It was gospel to them. We have that gem too. And even our health message. Everything we have, if put in the right perspective, is under the gem, God is love. And that is our message. And so to end... I'm going to read a verse which you know, and I'm going to put it within our context. And it's in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. And he says this, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. I am not ashamed to be a Seventh-day Adventist. Because I know, if you really get past the layers, we've got gospel. And that gospel is God is love.